Um, if you weren't here for announcements, there is actually an outline. Thank you so much, out uh, Ashley. There we go. Yeah, there's an outline that you can follow along, and you can, as the Lord commands us, to test all things and hold fast to what is good. So, with that being said, if you'll open your Bible, before we turn to our text, I want to read a text out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 44. I'll read the text and I'll pray and then we'll get started. It's Jeremiah 44, starting in verse 15, verse 15 through 19. And the word of the Lord reads, Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt, and Patros, Answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. As we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then we had plenty of food. We were well off and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and famine. The women also said, And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make, cake, um, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? Father in heaven, I pray now that you would come, that you would manifest your glory in this place. Father, this message may not apply to everyone in the same way, but there is an application to everyone. Rather we're married, Rather, we plan on being married and need to know what the Lord requires of us for we're not to wait till we get in a marriage. We are to begin preparing ourselves even now, even as a child, the children in here. Give them ears to hear. All of us know someone who is married that we can minister to. So this message applies to each and every one of us. So I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would make that application. You'll give ears to hear and eyes to see. To see and hear that this isn't just about two human individuals in a relationship. 
This is about being conformed to Christ. This is about pleasing Christ. This is about looking to Christ as our motivation, as the power to live this out. This is about Christ and the church as we spoke of last time. I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would give me the meekness and boldness of Christ, the love of Christ, and that you would take this word, it would run swiftly and be glorified, and that we would take it home with us, and we would test all things, hold fast to what is good, and we would seek to conform our marriages to what is worthy of you and fully pleasing in your sight, bearing fruit in every good work. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the reason I read this text is you see in verse 15 it begins, Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense skip down to verse 19 the women also said and we have burned incense to the queen of heaven poured out drink offerings to her did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour our drink offerings to her without our husband's permission okay now perhaps um, your your translation may not use permission there because actually in the hebrew it just says without our husband's the idea is the husbands approved, the husbands were involved. So here we see Jeremiah, he is um, rebuking the disobedient people of Israel. But what's interesting, even in their disobedience, though it's skewed and twisted, even in their disobedience, there was a regard for marriage, roles in marriage. Now we fast forward to today, that has completely disintegrated. And, you know, when we say marriage, we're like, well, I have an idea of how marriage should be, and it's completely the opposite of what we see in the Word of God. So with that being said, I'd like you to turn to our text, 1 Peter chapter 3. The last message I did, we looked at uh, Ephesians 5, speaking of marriage as Christ and the church. One second, my pages aren't turning. There we go. Okay. Now, ideally, of course, that's how we want all of our marriages to look. You know, we the wives to arrange their husbands. Uh, arrange themselves under their husbands in obedience as we spoke of the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church to pursue her sanctification to nourish to cherish her but more often than that than not that is not how our marriages look it could be one it may be both the spouses or disobedient to the word of God. Well, if your spouse is disobedient to the word of God, 
how, how ought you to conduct yourself? Does the wife say, my husband, he isn't doing his job. He isn't pursuing my sanctification. He isn't nourishing, cherishing me spiritually. So therefore, I don't have to arrange myself under him. Or the husband saying, you know, my, my wife isn't submitting to me. You know, so, I mean, I know I'm supposed to be washing her in the water of the word. I know I'm supposed to be doing this, that. But my wife isn't submitting to me, so I'm just not going to do it. Is, is that what we're supposed to do? Well, the text today deals with that very issue. You know, I entitled it Marriage, Obedience, and Honor. But I think a, a great title for this is just simply what it is. Living with a disobedient spouse. So, Lord willing, let's see what Peter has to say to us. So first I'll, I'll read the uh, whole first seven verses, then we'll go back. First Peter 3, 1 through 7. Peter says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe, your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do not or if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So, as I said, this is what God requires of us, even if our spouse is disobedient. You say, how do I know that's what it's speaking of? Well, you see in verse 1, you see, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. But if we back up even more in the context, you see wives likewise, you'll see in verse 7, husbands likewise. So he is not starting some completely new. He's going back and making a parallel with what he's just taught. If you go back to verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters without fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. So in the same way, wives, you have a responsibility even if your husband is disobedient. And husbands, you have a responsibility even if your wife is disobedient. So as Peter starts with the wives, 
So we will. Verse 1. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. We talked about uh, this last time, this word submissive. It's a military term. It means to arrange or rank yourself below someone in the way of obedience. So here the wives are told to arrange themselves under their husband in the way of disobedience. And then we get this, that even if some do not obey the word. So, even if the husband is disobedient to the word of God, God still has a requirement for the wives to submit themselves, to arrange themselves under in a way of obedience. Now, that isn't to say, regardless, whatever he does, you arrange yourself under him in obedience. We must take all of scripture in context when we do that. For example, if his disobedience puts your life in danger, you are not to arrange yourself under him in the way of obedience. In Exodus chapter 22, it's noted on the outline. Okay, there's this command that's given to the people of Israel. And he says, if a thief is found breaking in and you strike him so that he dies, he says, no, that blood will not be charged against you. Basically, you're not going to be guilty. It says, but if the sun rises on him, then you will be guilty. It's like, what's that? So, here's a thief that breaks in. Remember, they don't have, you know, electricity and everything like we have today. It's pitch. They don't know who that is. They don't know if their life's in danger. They don't know anything. All they're thinking of, okay, my life is in danger. And God gives them to right, the right to self-defense. But it says, if the sun arises and they see that their life is not in danger, they see, yes, he's broken in. Yes, he's a thief. Yes, he's a criminal. But he's like, you see, your life is not in danger. And then you kill him. Then you're guilty for that. So God gives provision to the people of Israel of old, but also to us to defend our lives. If our lives are in danger, God doesn't just say, you know, well, just you're just gonna have to you know let it happen you know no god does give you the right to self-defense not revenge but self-defense so if the husband endangers the wife she is not to arrange herself under him she is to get out of there by any means she can she is to go get help she is to make this public, bring it before the authorities. You know, the authorities of the church, the authorities in the law, whatever she can do to protect her own lives. So if the husband is endangering her, 
she is not to arrange herself under an obedience. But also, what about if the husband wants the wife to be disobedient? Should you arrange yourself under the husband then? If you're, it's tax season. What if your husband tells you something that's dishonest with your taxes so you can get more money back? You know, wives, do you say, well, I have to arrange myself under my husband. I mean, it's, it's not that big a, a deal. I, I probably won't even get caught. Is that what you do? Well, there's a few situations in Scripture. We see this starting all the way back in the book of Genesis. Right after Abraham is called, there's a situation, there's a famine, and he runs to Egypt. And he made this deal with his wife. It's like everywhere we go, I want you to say, you're my sister, to preserve his own life. Now, Sarah went along with it, not once, but twice, at least twice that we have in Scripture, Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. But she was rebuked for that. She should not have gone along with that. We have another situation which we see a more severe judgment. In Acts chapter 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira. So, and the interesting thing is, they weren't even commanded to sell their fields and bring everything. However, that's a commitment that they made. And they made this commitment that they would go sell this field. But Ananias and Sapphira were like, you know, man, this, this, this is a lot of money, you know, we can... This isn't in the Bible, by the way. I'm, I'm kind of making this up. But they're like, man, this, this is a lot of money. We, we could do something with this. And they made this deal, okay, well, let's say we sold it for this much. Let's take it before Peter, take it before the elders of the church, the apostles. And we'll say, yeah, we, we sold it for this much. So they can keep some back for themselves. And as Peter said, they have not lied to men, they lied to God. So Ananias goes in first. He gets confronted by Peter. Of course, he lies, he drops dead. Little later, his wife comes in. She's confronted by Peter. Now she has a choice. She can either go along and say, yeah, we, we sold it for this much. Or she can be like, you know what, Peter, I'm sorry. This is not the full amount. I know my husband may have told you that we sold it for this much, but that's not true. And I'm sure she would not have suffered the same penalty of her husband. But because she went along with her husband, she dropped dead. And Peter said, the feet of those who carried out your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out too. And she dropped that. So, two situations we see here. One, if the husband endangers the wife. Two, if the husband puts the wife in the way of disobedience. The wife is not to arrange herself under the husband in the way of obedience. However, if his disobedience to the word 
doesn't endanger her life, if his disobedience to the word doesn't put her in the way of disobedience herself. Sisters, you are to arrange yourself under even a disobedient husband in the way of obedience. You see, um, back a little earlier when he's talking about the servants, we saw in verse 18, he says, not only to the good and gentle, but also the harsh. Perhaps your husband may be harsh, unbiblically harsh and unloving, insensitive. Yet, wives, you are still, not because of him, as we'll see, but because of God, arrange yourself under him in the way of obedience. So, says wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, without a word. So, wives, how do you influence your husbands? How do you seek your husbands to change? Is it with what you say? No. It says, that they without a word. In the book of Proverbs, you know, there's, it's actually mentioned at least five times, but I'll just mention a few. You know, it speaks of the contentious wife, the angry wife, a nagging wife. It says it's better to dwell in the corner of a rooftop than with a contentious woman. It says, Oh, Solomon also says it's better to dwell out in the desert. And he adds some, he says, than with a contentious and an angry woman. Now, a little later, he says, a contentious or a, con a continual dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil in his right hand. So, we see that the way to influence your husband, ladies, is not with your words. Yes, you are to be concerned with your husband if he is disobedient to the word. You are to want him to change. You are to desire him to repent to be Christ-like. Yes, that's a good desire. But how do you go about it? It's not by arguing with him. It's not by getting angry and your words representing that anger. So how do you influence him? It says that they without a word may be one by the conduct of the wives. When they observe your chaste or pure conduct accompanied by fear. So it tells us two things, at least here, about the conduct of the wife. It says, one, that it's chaste or pure, which the word actually is a word that's related to holy without any defilement, without any mixture. So pure conduct, 
accompanied by fear. We we spoke of this last time in the in Ephesians. It most most translations today say the wife should respect her husband. We discussed that word. That word is not respect, eulabea. That word is actually phobeomai, which comes from phobos, which is where we get our word phobia, fear. Okay, which is the same word here. But we talked about, it isn't, you know, you look at your husband and you fear your husband. It is, you look at your husband and you know your responsibility to him is before God. And in the fear of God, you conduct yourself in this way. And as we see, this word chaste or pure or holy, your uncontaminated conduct, devoted to God. It's similar to when uh, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. You have a pure conduct. You're purely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without any mixture of sin, of defilement, you seek to be pleasing in his sight. Which leads into verse 3. It says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. So, he makes a comparison here. It's like, okay, you, you can, this, of course, he in condemning, braiding of hair, anything else, but he's saying, you know, you can do all that. You can beautify yourself in all of that, but all of that is corruptible. He says, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty. You know, Peter speaks of this incorruptible um, in another sense earlier in Peter. He says, we were born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So, women, so wives, sisters, you, before your husband, are to display the incorruptible beauty that has been placed inside of you, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God that has transformed your heart, that has given you a new heart, a new spirit. You are a new creation. You have died with Christ. You have been raised with him to walk in newness of life. You have been indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit. That is what is to be displayed before your disobedient husband. The incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This word gentle is actually the word meek. Jesus uses it. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. 
But like, well, what does this word make mean? Well, I didn't put this in the notes, but Psalm 37, 1 through 11 really discusses, which is where Jesus quotes from. Okay, and he says, uh, Psalm 37, he says, Don't fret because of evil doers or envy workers of iniquity. So wives, your husband may be disobedient, but you aren't, you aren't fretting, you aren't stressed out about that. But what do you do? He says, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. A little later, he says, wait on the Lord. Wait patiently for him. He says, in a little while, evildoers will be cut off. But he says, the meek will inherit the earth. So, what does it mean to have a meek spirit? It means to have a spirit that can look at the disobedient and you aren't fretting, you aren't stressed out, you don't get angry, you don't distrust God, but you perfectly trust God. You commit your way to Him. You wait on the Lord. You do good. You feed on His faithfulness. You find your strength in Him. And this is the spirit, sisters, that you should have, that you should demonstrate in your marriage. And even if you are not married, this is the spirit the Lord requires from you as well, sisters. So a gentle and quiet spirit, and it says, which is very precious in the sight of God. Peter speaks of something else precious. In this very book. In chapter 1, he tells us that if we call on the Father, who without partiality will judge each one according to his works, he says, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And you're like, okay, I'm going to conduct myself in fear because God's the judge is going to judge me without partiality. Is that true? Yes. But that's not the reason Peter gets. He says, knowing this, that you were redeemed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. Sisters, do you not want to be precious before the eyes of the one who shed his precious blood for you? to redeem you, to purchase you from under the wrath of the Almighty God. Jesus Christ poured out his precious blood for you. Do you not desire to be precious in his eyes? I know and I trust many of you do. Verse 5. He says, for, so giving us an example now. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good 
and are not afraid with any terror. So ladies, sisters, he gives you an example and he takes you all the way back to the book of Genesis. And he says, remember Sarah and how she obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You're like, where's that? Well, there's only one time in scripture we see her call him Lord. And it's not in a time that we might think that's the kind of terminology she would use. It's in Genesis 18, so the angels come and say, hey, you know, your wife's going to have a son. She's, she's overhearing this. You know, she laughs. She's like, wait, they're saying I'm going to have a son? And my Lord being old, old? I mean, the one time she could have been like, that old man's going to give me a son? Are you serious? But no. Even at that time, she acknowledged his God-given position as her Lord, her, her master, when she is to submit herself under, arrange herself under, in the way of disobedience. So this is an example for you, ladies, my sisters, that even in, even in the times your husband, he may deserve for you to speak, you know, some other way against him. Even in those times, you still must acknowledge his God-given position. And you must submit yourself. You must arrange yourself under him in the way of obedience. And like we see here, your, the way you speak about him should reflect this. I mean, ladies, when you go and get with your girlfriends, how do you speak about your husband? He may be disobedient. He may be screwing everything up at the house. But how do you speak about your husband? Do you acknowledge his God-given position and let that be known? For this is an example for you. In the end, he says, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. This is... Bold obedience. You say, why would she be afraid? Well, if her husband is disobedient, there's many reasons that she could be afraid and that fear could push her away from obedience. She's like, well, if, if I submit to this man, or whatever it may be. But Peter's telling us here, God is telling us here, it's like, look, even if your husband is disobedient, and like we saw, even if your husband's harsh, he's unloving, he's insensitive, the list can go on. It's like, in the fear of God, you are to boldly arrange yourself under him, not because of him, but because of God. And this is precious in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his precious blood to redeem you. Now for the husbands, verse 70. 
says husbands, likewise. So there's that word again, likewise. Tying in the same concept that started with the servants being submissive to disobedient masters, wife being submissive to disobedient husbands. Now husbands, likewise, now not in the way of submission, but as you work through the verse, you see husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding um, as they are the weaker vessel. Okay, and Lord willing, we'll deal with that in a little bit. But this is when the wife, because of her weakness, is disobedient. Husbands, we still have a responsibility of how we are to dwell with them. So it says husbands likewise Dwell with them with understanding. This, it, this word is just simply a word for knowledge. So, husbands, you are to dwell with your wife. You are to um, live with your wives according to knowledge. Like, okay, well, I'll study my Bible and I'll learn all the passages that deal with marriage. And I'll, I'll, I'll live with her according to that knowledge. Now that's good, that's, that's good. You definitely should do that. Now your English translations may change the order a little bit. But in the Greek, I'll say husbands likewise dwell with them according to knowledge as with a weaker vessel being a woman. So what knowledge are you to have? The knowledge of the Word of God? Yes, of course, the knowledge of the Word of God. But this is speaking of a knowledge of her as a weaker vessel. You say, okay, how is the woman the weaker vessel? Well, even experience teaches us this. Yes, there are women bodybuilders and everything today, but generally... <laughs> you know, the woman is created, you know, physically weaker than the male counterpart. So she's the weaker vessel in that sense. I think we also know that even emotionally, you know, generally, not always, but generally, even emotionally, they are weaker. There's, there's things that you may be able to say to another guy they can handle. You say it to your wife, and she's crushed. But I think what he is really zeroing in on here is her weakness spiritually. Paul speaks of this back in 1 Timothy. He talks about Adam being created first, then the woman and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. He gives us this as an argument for why the women shouldn't teach and exercise authority over man in the church. But we see that the woman has this spiritual weakness. And now I'm not saying that Okay, you know, every woman is inferior to a man spiritually, not in any way. 
You can look through scripture and you can actually make the opposite argument. Who was at the cross? All the apostles, they fled. Who was there? Who was at the grave? Who got up early in the morning? No lights. Went through the tombs where robbers are. They went, didn't even know how they were going to roll away the stone, but they were there. You can make the opposite argument. So I'm by no means saying that. But I am saying this. That as we go back to the Garden of Eden, we see Satan recognizes this. Why didn't Satan go to Adam? Have you ever thought about that? Adam was right there. You know, it says he was with Eve. He was with the woman. He was right there. Why did Satan not go to Adam? Because Satan, he knows. He knows that the woman is a weaker vessel. She, he knows that, okay, if I'm going to be successful in my deception, I know who to go to. See, Adam should have been there. I mean, he was there, but he should have stood up. He should have said no. This is what God said. He, remember, he asked the woman, has God really said? Where was Adam? Where was like, wait, this is what God said. Where, where was he? He did not stand up. He stood there and he watched. And his wife, well, I mean, he said uh, we can eat of all the trees, but this one, um, we can't eat, uh, uh, we can't, uh, I think he said we can't touch it. And Adam's standing there, just like, mm-hmm. What, what is this? I mean, so, husbands, we're to dwell with our wives with understanding. That they are the weaker vessel. Yes, physically, emotionally, but even more spiritually. We are to protect our wives. We are to have the knowledge of what is going on in their lives spiritually. Husbands, if I were to sit you down and interview you and say, okay, what, what is your wife going through spiritually right now? What is she struggling with spiritually? What is her biggest prayer request? What are you doing? Where in scripture are you taking her? How are you praying for her to deal with this? How would you do in that interview? And then I interviewed your wife. Would what she says have, have any correlation with what you said? We are to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. We are to know them, know what they are dealing with spiritually. Know the temptations that are coming, like Satan coming, uh, whispering to Eve. What are they being tempted with? Okay, what are our wives struggling with? We should know. We should know how to pray for them. We should, as we wash them in the water of the word, we as shepherds to our wives, we should go to the word of God and say, okay, this deals with what she is struggling with and apply that word, wash her with that word, protect her, stand up, 
She may not know the word. Husbands, we have to know the word. In 1 Corinthians 14, you know where it speaks of women are to be silent in, in the church. It says, if they have a question, they are to ask their husbands at home. But how many of us husbands can answer that question? How many of us might say, uh, baby, I'll know, go ask the elders. No, that, that's not what it says. If he wanted her to ask the elders, Paul wouldn't say, no, go ask your husband at home. We are to know the word of God and be able to apply that word to our wives, to wash them in the water of the word as we looked at last time, for their sanctification, for their cleansing, making them Christ-like. We are to know our wives and, know, and take the word of God and apply it to them in the way that they need it. So we are to dwell with them according to knowledge that they are the weaker vessel being a woman. And then it says, and giving honor to her. This word honor has to do with value. Many times when it's used in scripture, it's translated price. You know, or for example, in uh, 1 Timothy, when it speaks of elders who rule well, it says they are to be counted worthy of double honor. Well, what does this mean? Well, he supports it with scripture. And he said, for the worker is worthy of his wages. And you shall not muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain. In other words, the elders who rule in the church, who labor in the word and in the doctrine, we are to honor them, value them, putting a price upon them for their work and um, compensating them for that. So here, we see the husband is to honor the wife, to value the wife, to put a price on your wife. Husbands, and I ask myself this as well, is your wife valuable to you? Is she priceless to you? Or do you just say, well, this, this just happens to be the women I live with? We are to honor our wives. We are to put a price on our wives. And we say, okay, what, what is that price? How should we value them? I mean, what, according to what standard? Well, he says, we are to honor them as fellow heirs of the grace of life. Now, there are many interpretations of what this grace of life is, but I think it's pretty clear because it doesn't just say the grace of life. Some say, well, marriage is called the grace of life. Some say, well, it's just, it's just life. She's graced to live this life with you. But we have this word as fellow heirs 
It's not speaking of something that you're already living. You're an heir of something. Now, as we go through our scriptures, any time that it speaks of heirs, any time, especially this word, fellow heirs, it's used many times. For example, in Romans chapter 8, it says, well, we are fellow heirs with Christ. Ephesians says, the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews. So anytime this word is used, it's speaking of our eternal inheritance. So, husbands, how should we value our wives as fellow heirs of eternal life? Recognizing our wives, our daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They, they are heirs of eternal life. You know, Jesus speaks of how not just the wife, but any other believer says, if you cause, one of these who believe in me to stumble, to sin, if you cause them to sin. We just spoke of the husband putting the wife in the way of disobedience. He says, if you cause them to sin, it'll be better for you. For a giant millstone, which a millstone was a giant stone that they used to crush the, the grain. A giant millstone to be tied around your neck and you to be cast into the sea and drowned. Those are the words of love incarnate. So husbands, our wives are very precious, very priceless treasures. We should honor them as such. Jesus also says, see that you don't despise one of them, for their angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. In other words, you're despising them. But in my eyes, they are so important that I have commissioned an angel to watch over them. So who are we? To say, oh, she's no big deal. She's, she, she's not that special. When Jesus Christ is like, out of all the billions and billions and billions of Christians throughout the centuries, I have this angel and I have appointed this angel to watch over her. As we see in Hebrews, to minister to those who are to inherit salvation. So she's precious. She has a price before God. Should she not have that price, that value before us, husbands? So finally, so we're to dwell with our wives according to the knowledge that they are the weaker vessel, especially spiritually. We're to honor, we're to value, we're to put a price on our wives as they are fellow heirs of the grace of eternal life. But then, 
the last phrase that your prayers may not be hindered. So what does that mean? I think Peter answers it for us a few verses later. So if you turn, you may not have to turn, just go down a few verses in 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, of course, he's quoting from the Old Testament, but we learn something very significant as well. That the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. We still stand before the same God. It isn't as, oh God, he, he was angry, now he's cooled off a little bit. He was angry. He wanted to destroy everyone that sinned. Then Jesus came in and said, oh wait, 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 don't do that, Father. I'll, I'll go and die for them. And now God is like, oh, well, you know, my son died for their sins, so I, I just can't get angry at sin anymore. No, it's the same God. Again, he says that your prayers may not be hindered. This runs throughout the Old Testament, which, as I've said, is the same God we have to deal with. In Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. This isn't an unbeliever speaking. This is a believer. So what does it mean to regard iniquity? I know God requires this. I know he says this is sin, but I am going to hold on to my sin. I don't care what he says. I will continue living this way. Yeah, I'm going to pray to him. And he's like, okay, well, while you live that way, your prayers aren't going to be heard. And Isaiah, in chapter 1, condemning the people for their going, offering their sacrifices, they're having their feast, they're doing all their religious things. And Isaiah says, which God says through Isaiah, when you lift your hands to me, I will hide my eyes from you. Though you multiply prayers, I will not hear. So they're up here multiplying prayers. They're praying to him. They're praying over and over and over. Doesn't Jesus tell us? He gives us a parable in Luke 18 about the persistent woman. You know, going over and over in prayer. Yes, that is a godly thing. But... If you're living against the word of God, that's not going to profit you anything. A little later in Isaiah 59, he says, The Lord's hand is not short that it cannot say, nor is his ear deaf that it cannot hear. Your hands are full of blood. He says, Your sins have separated you from God and caused his ear to be closed to you. God isn't just someone you can live how you want 
and have fellowship with him. Live how you want. Just go to him in prayer. Proverbs 27.9, I believe it is. It says, those who turn their ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. It's very serious language. God is holy. And God has a requirement from us. As Christians in general, but especially husbands, as we are here in context, he has a requirement for us to dwell with our wives according to the knowledge of them as the weaker vessel, to honor our wives, to place a price on our wives. And if we refuse, we look at the scripture, perhaps, I pray that no one in here would look at the scripture today and go out and say, yeah, I know what God requires, but I'm going to continue living this way. You don't understand my wife. Well, God is very serious about it. And husbands, I know that if you indeed are Christian, you desire communion with God. Your desire is to fellowship with God. And the one thing in the world that would terrify you more than anything else is to be cut off from fellowship with him, even temporarily. I trust that is true of many of you husbands. A matter of fact, if we live opposite of what Scripture is saying here, we're not going to honor our wives, we're not going to dwell with them according to knowledge, we actually deny the very reason Christ died. Go down a few more verses in 1 Peter 3 to 18. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Christ died to bring us to God. Christ died, husbands, Christ died that we might have fellowship with God. He died that we might have communion with God. When Jesus died, the veil was ripped. The way into the holiest of all was opened. That we might go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to find grace to help in time of need. We can now by the blood of Jesus Christ, come before God. Make our request known to God. And husbands, when we refuse to dwell with our wives according to knowledge, when we refuse to honor our wives, to value our wives, even as God does, even as Christ does, we deny the very thing that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. 
So here we see the motivation for both the husband and the wife are not found in the husband or the wife. You don't look to your partner. Your partner may be disobedient. Your spouse may be disobedient. And you say, well, once they, they, they get things together and start doing things right, then I'll do my part. Then I'll find motivation to obey the word of God. But no, we don't look to them to find our motivation. We saw with the wife that when you conduct yourself with a, a meek, a gentle, and a quiet spirit, Arranging yourself under your husband in the way of obedience and the fear of God. It says, this is very precious in the sight of God. This word precious is actually used in Mark 14, translated costly. When Mary takes a jar of very costly oil and anoints the feet of Jesus. And even after she was rebuked, Jesus was like, no, she did a beautiful thing for me. She did a good work, a priceless, a precious thing to me. Wives, I know you desire, like Mary, to be precious, to do something precious to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what you are when you conduct yourself with a meek, with a quiet Spirit and husbands. We see our motivation is communion with God. The very thing Jesus Christ died to accomplish. Jesus Christ, who was in the very form of God, for he was God, God the Son, from all eternity. His Father gave him a people. And he, willing, he wasn't forced willingly out of love for his father and for us. He laid aside all of his heavenly privileges. All the worship. You know Isaiah chapter 6? We get him seated on the throne, high and lifted up. Seraphim crying, holy, holy, holy. Well, John tells us, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid all that aside. He came into this world. We can't even begin to understand that. Because all we know is sin. It's like we're fish. And we're, we're born way down in the sea. All we know is darkness. All we know is being wet. That's all we know. And someone tells us about dry land, we're like, what do you talk, what, what? But see, Jesus, when he came into this world, he was coming as one who has never, never even had one small influence of all we know. It's simple. And he came into this world. And he took the form of a man and was a slave. I mean, he could have been born in a palace. You know, he could have came into this world 
And he had the angels, you know, carrying him out of heaven. Have the most beautiful palace in the world. You know, just sits himself up right on top of the temple. All Jerusalem sees him in all his glory. As the angels tell all about him. I mean, why the angels go to shepherds, the lowest people in society? But he came and was born in an animal's feeding tray. And he was, as Isaiah says, as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It says, and we turned our face from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. They saw nothing in him worth anything. Wait, you're telling me this is our Messiah? This is a king? Are you serious? This carpenter who works with his hands? I mean, he he didn't even go to the, the high schools. You remember in John, when he gets up and speaks, they're like, how does this man know? He, he, he didn't even go to school. He wasn't educated like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the rulers. But he came into this world and he lived a life despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And every millisecond of his life, perfectly in submission to God's will. Never a deep deviation in thought, in word, in deed. Throughout all the persecution he endured, all of the slander and false accusations, all of the hate, absolutely perfectly submitted to his father's will. Why? Because none of us, none of us can even do that for one fraction of a nanosecond. Yet, that's what God requires. You want to go to heaven on your own merits, okay? Well, you have to be born into this world. And from the time that you are conceived in the womb, you have to be absolutely perfect. Never selfish. I think every baby that comes out of the womb already breaks that. They're pretty selfish. Never one lustful thought. Never one unrighteously angry thought. Never once complain because you want your will over God's will. Not one unloving war. And you have to do that. All the way up until you die. And matter of fact, on your deathbed, if you've lived an absolutely perfect life, and you have one thought of unbelief, the millisecond before you die, you go to hell for all eternity. None of us 
can get their head. But there was hope. There was hope because Jesus Christ, He came and He fulfilled what we could not do. And He died on that cross. He suffered the infinite wrath of God. And He who knew no sin was made to be sin that we may become the righteousness of God in Him. And in some way that none of us can understand, we stand perfectly righteous before God. And that standing will always be because of the work of Christ. And now, clothed in that righteousness, we can have communion with God. So yes, this speaking of the husbands, but to all of us, Christ died to bring us to God. That we might have communion with God. Should we deny the very thing that Christ died for? May never be. So rather you are married currently, Rather, you one day hope to be married. Rather, you know someone who is married you can minister to. This applies to you. Wives, if I was to put all this in one word, we see what's your responsibility, even if your husband's disobedient. Obedience. And husbands, one word. If your wives are disobedient because of their weakness, what's your responsibility? Honor. Obedience and honor. This is the marriage that God requires and that is pleasing to Christ. Father, I thank you for this message. Father, it's not an easy message to preach, especially when I know that I am just as these people. I am held responsible, held accountable to this. And even more so, because I am the one teaching these things. So I pray first that you would help me to conform to these things that have been spoken, that we see in the Word of God. And I pray for my brothers, my sisters. I pray that they would be the husbands, they would be the wives, that you so require those who are single in this room, that they would know the kind of wife the kind of husband that you require them to be, and they would begin even now preparing themselves to be that husband, to be that wife. Yet they cannot do that apart from the gospel. So I pray that you would just 
apply the gospel to them, rather for their salvation, for the first time, their sanctification. Apply it to them, O oh God, and transform this people into the husbands and wives that you so desire. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.